All right, we're going to go look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and tonight we're going to be talking about witnessing to Jews. I had kind of finished the series about witnessing to other groups, but I actually had a, a couple requests to do one on this specific subject, which I hadn't planned on doing just because you don't witness to Jews very often around here. But uh, since it was requested, and I do believe there's some valuable doctrinal lessons that we can learn from what we're talking about tonight. And some of this stuff I, I preached on that I'm going to be covering tonight, I actually preached before while I was preaching at another church. And um, I do not have that sermon online for unmentionable reasons. But I figure, you know what, I can cover that again because this is uh, there's some really good information here. But I want you to notice what it says in verse 12. It says, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And so when it comes to Jews, we see here in this passage that Paul is saying there is a veil that is on their heart. But if they will turn to the Lord, God will take that veil away. God will give them sight. Jews can be saved. They are not without hope of salvation. But it is important that if we're going to witness to a Jew, we need to kind of know what we're up against. It's always important with any group that we're talking about. The Apostle Paul you know, he said, give none offense to the Jew, the Gentile, nor to the church of God. Why? We don't want, when we're trying to reach somebody, we don't want to do something that's unnecessary, that's going to offend them before we even got a chance to witness to them and say anything. We're, we're trying to get people to hear us. And if we're doing something that is not necessary, that's offensive to a, to a people group, then we're losing an opportunity. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do something that I don't have to. Uh, you know, and then spoil my chances of actually reaching somebody. So when it comes to witnessing to a Jew, there's a few things, though, we've got to understand because they are an especially difficult group to reach. Even the Bible says that. The Apostle Paul did not say this about other groups that they have a veil on their heart, but he did say this about the Jews. And so it's very important that we understand kind of what we're up against because the scenario I'm going to give you Uh, when it comes to witnessing to a Jew, it is going to be kind of a perfect scenario because, and you know, most of the time it's just not going to go over well. Did you know that since the book of early in the book of Acts, there's never been any kind of major revival among the Jewish people. It's never happened. And a lot of people believe that it will happen someday. And I don't have a huge problem with people believing that. I do have a problem when people misuse scripture to prove that. And this scripture that we just looked at is one that's often used. What people will do is they'll say, you know, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And they take that as prophetic that someday when Israel is a people turn to the Lord, God's going to remove the veil and there's going to be this big revival. But actually this applied to that day. In, in, in that day and in this day today, if a Jew will turn to the Lord, God will take that veil away. God doesn't want to keep them blind. You know, God wants them to see. And so that's, you know, that's just a dumb interpretation of that verse because they need something big to happen again because everybody needs to assume that what they've been rooting for since 1948, you know, has some legitimacy to it. Don't get me going on that. Don't bring that up when you're witnessing to Jews either. All right. You know, that's, that's, that's not going to help your cause. Okay. But first thing we have to assume, all right, that whenever we're talking to Jew, we have to assume that the ones that we're talking to believe the Old Testament. You have to assume that, okay? Now, we all understand most of the time they don't. They might claim it, but they don't. Jesus said in John 5, 46, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? So, because you know what we use to try to witness to people? We use the Word of God. And you know what? If I'm going to go witness to a Jew... I don't want to just defend them right off the bat and just open up the New Testament because you know what? The Old Testament, I'm going to show you, says the same thing. So if I can show them the same message from a book that they claim 
to hold in high regard, why wouldn't I use that first? So I'm going to, I'm going to go to the old Testament, but the truth is most Jews don't really believe the old Testament, but we're going to assume that they do. And, and there are some that do, you know, I think in their mind and in their heart. And so we're going to, we're going to use that because the, the average Jew today is more about tradition than they are scriptures. It's all about tradition. I don't know if you've all seen that movie or not, but it is It's all about tradition with them and tradition trumps the scriptures most of the time. We're also going to have to assume the ones we're talking to, you know, do not have that veil over their heart. See, they do need to turn to the Lord, it says. And unfortunately, what mo- most Jews today are literally in rebellion. Because the truth is, if you've read this Old Testament for any length of time, and you are still denying Jesus Christ, then you know you, it's because you're in rebellion. That's all there is to it. The Apostle Paul told Timothy that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So understand that a lot of the Jews, the reason they're so hard is because they have been in the Holy Scriptures for a long time and they've been rejecting them and rejecting them and rejecting them and they might have already been given over to, to a reprobate mind. But you know what? There's some that maybe they haven't been in the Scriptures that much. They haven't been taught a whole lot and so they might very well be open but understand a lot of the Jews that we talk, that you're going to talk to have already hardened their hearts. But they haven't all done that. But... Understand, uh, if they are, if they'll turn to the Lord, he'll, get, he'll remove that veil. So, um, when, another thing you got to assume, think about, when talking to, with Jews, it's important to understand that these people are under the judgment of God. Now, Baptists get offended when you say that, but this is true. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.28, when he's talking to Jews who need to enter into that new covenant, who need to enter into his rest. He says, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Okay, that was from the law of Moses, wasn't it? And the writer of Hebrews is saying this to Jews, isn't he? And he said, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So he's saying all this specifically to Jews. Listen, how, I mean, how much worse do you think it's going to be for you? Why? Because they were the ones who have trodden under the foot of the Son of God. They were the ones that did all these things. They were the ones that were committed to the oracles of God. God gave them all these things. God sent the prophets to them. God sent Jesus to them. God sent the apostles to them. And for you to turn away from these things, let me tell you, if you do that, he says, you're in trouble. For, for we know him that had said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. And what is it that people want to say all the time when they act like nothing bad is going to happen to the Jews? It says, the writer of Hebrews warning the Jews, saying the Lord shall judge his people. You're going to get it if you do this. And you know what? We know that as a whole, not all of them, but as a whole, they did in fact do what they were warned not to do in this passage. They have done despite to the spirit of grace, and therefore they are under the judgment of God. First Thessalonians 2.14 says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea and are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered the like things of our, your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. How dare you say that? That sounds so Nazi-ish to call them, you know, say that they killed the Lord Jesus. Sounds like the Apostle Paul to me. The Apostle Paul said they've killed, killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and they're contrary to all men. I heard a preacher say just recently, the reason that we know the Jews are God's people is because of the Holocaust. Because look how much the world has hated them and how many, how many of them have died. And I thought, have, have you ever read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? It says... They, not only are they contrary to all men, but they don't please God either. God's in agreement with all men. They have a problem with them. But he said that that's proof they're God's people. That was one of the dumbest, I mean, I, I don't even say, I, I got to stop saying it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard because they can't all be the dumbest thing you've ever heard. But it was the dumbest thing I heard all week, for sure. 
you know, it says, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Now, people get so offended when you say that they're under the judgment of God. But folks, they are under the judgment of God. But you know what? In Malachi, after it talked about all these terrible things that they did, what did God say? For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. So they have not been destroyed yet, and they can still be saved. Why? Not because of them, but because of the goodness of God. Because He is merciful. He's long-suffering, and He has not consumed them. They are still here, but let me tell you something. They are under God's judgment. They have suffered greatly because of their sins, because of their wickedness. They are a wild man. Their hand is against every man and every man's hand is against them. They are the fulfillment of the prophecy to Ishmael according to Galatians chapter 4. It is not about the Muslims, ladies and gentlemen. It is about the Jews. Galatians chapter 4. Go read it. It's in your Bible. It is not a result of the Mandela effect. It's always been there. I know some of us didn't discover that chapter until, you know, several years ago. But understand, it's there and... We need to, and so we need to understand that about it. And, that, and so as a result of that, a lot of times when you're talking to a Jew, you are talking to someone who has been shown the Scriptures. They have seen the truth, but they've hardened their hearts to that truth. But they're not all there. And we, don't, we do not know if they're there or not. We don't really have any way for sure of knowing. So I believe any chance you get to witness to a Jew... You ought to take advantage of it, and you ought to do it. And for sure, we ought to do everything we can to reach that remnant, because there will always be a remnant according to the election of grace. There will always be a remnant because of God's promise to the fathers. Because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there will always be a remnant of them that are saved. And you know what? I'm all for you know, doing my part to reach some of that remnant. And so I will always take every opportunity... I get to, to witness to a Jew. But again, since the book of Acts, there's never been a revival amongst the Jewish people. And so even though all these things are working against them, they still can be saved because Romans 11 one says, I say then, had God cast away his people, God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, and then he goes on, Gives that example of Elijah. But a lot, what a lot of people do, they will interpret this verse as God has cast away his people. Therefore, they're still under the blessing of God. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. God hath not cast away. Therefore, the land still belongs to them. No, God hasn't cast away, meaning God will still save them. The Apostle Paul used himself as proof. Because the Apostle Paul got saved. So they'll take a, a true statement. God hasn't cast away his people. But then they jump to a false conclusion with it, meaning the land's still there. They still have the blessing of God on them. No. No, absolutely not. They're not under the blessing of God. They're under the judgment of God. They're on their way to hell. But if they will be saved, or if they will believe on Him, if they will abide not still in unbelief, God will still save them. You know why? Because He has not cast them away. They're not reprobate. That's what that means. Verse 23. Or let's look at verse 5. First, even so then, at this present time. Paul's talking about this present time. There, all, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Verse 23, And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief. Everybody wants to leave that verse out. Everybody wants to go over all of them shall be saved. If they abide not still in unbelief, all of them will be saved if they abide not still in unbelief. You know, all people will be saved if they abide not still in unbelief. All Africa will be saved if they abide not still in unbelief. I mean, you, you, have, you can't leave that part out. But everybody wants to leave that part out. But it says, verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies. You know, I feel like starting a ministry called Friends of Israel. Those are out there. Yedidim of Israel is what they call it, which is Hebrew for friend. My Bible says they're enemies for the gospel's sake. Okay? Now, we're allowed to love our enemies. But you know what? I am not going to support my enemy in their opposition to the gospel. I will love them by continuing to oppose them by preaching the gospel. That, that's how I'm going to love my enemy. So as touching the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. There will always be a remnant. So while this message is about witnessing to Jews, it is specifically aimed at Jews who have not hardened their hearts yet to the clear teaching of the Old Testament about the Messiah. And they do exist. Okay? Those people do exist. There are, going, there are Jews out there who have a desire for the truth, who have a true love for the Scriptures, who have not rejected these things yet, and they need a Christian who's got his head screwed on straight, who's not worshiping these people, to come to them and to show them the truth. And I believe that we can show them the truth. We can show them the very same gospel that we preach from the Romans road. I believe we can show them the Romans road in the Old Testament. I believe we can show that we can preach the Romans road to the Jews without even opening the New Testament. Now, we're going to refer to the New Testament as we go through this just to show you, uh, you know, that, you know, everything that Paul taught, he stole from the Old Testament. Okay? But at the same time, if I'm not wanting to offend, if I'm wanting to get their attention, if the New Testament says the same thing as the Old Testament, I'm fine with going to the Old Testament. I can preach a death, burial, and resurrection from the Old Testament. Jesus preached a death, burial, and resurrection from the Old Testament. We talked about that Wednesday. Paul preached death, burial, and resurrection from the Old Testament. So if they can do it, and you know what, and they did it while preaching to the Jews. You know what, we can do it too. Right? We can do the same thing. So, first thing, turn over to, I uh, just lost my spot, uh, Psalms chapter 14. Psalms chapter 14. So we're, you're going to see, Pastor Tom, this gospel you're preaching sounds just like the one we do just for every other Gentile. And it is the same gospel. I'm just going to use different scripture references. Why? Because I'm trying to not be offensive to the Jews. So, Psalms chapter 14, first thing we've got to show them is we've got to show, if you get a chance to witness to the Jew, show them. You know, talk about the law with them. Talk about how great the law is. Talk about how you wish we followed, you know, we followed some of that law in this country. But then, you know what you need to, you need to tell them? Say, listen, you know, what your, you know what your Bible says? That righteousness doesn't come through the law. It says in Psalms 14, verse 1, The fool has said in their heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? You better believe that sounds familiar. That's in Romans chapter 3, 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. I can preach that same thing. I can preach for all have sinned right from Psalms chapter 14. And so I'm going to open up to Psalms chapter 14 when I'm talking to Jude. I'm going to show him you can't achieve righteousness by the law. Great, you got circumcised. But you know what? That's not going to get it all done because Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 26 says, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. And go read all the laws in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And if some Jews think, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I, I kept the law of God. Well, did you keep all those things? Well, you did that one thing, circumcision. But in Deuteronomy chapter 27, it says you've got to keep all of the law to do that. Are you sure you've kept all of the law? You can't find anything in that Torah that you haven't violated, that you haven't broken. But the Bible says you've got to do all things. And you know what? This is what Paul was referring to in Galatians 3.10. For he says, For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. I don't even have to open up Galatians chapter 3 to show him that. Paul got that from Deuteronomy 27. I can use Deuteronomy 27 when I'm talking to a Jew. has the exact same message. I'm not going to offend him. Now, I'm going to show you eventually we're going to get to a point where there's going to be an offense. You know why? Because Jesus is a rock of offense. If you think that you're going to get a Jew saved without mentioning the name of Jesus, you're crazy. And that's what a lot of people are trying to do today, and that's foolish. I'm all for using the Old Testament to introduce these things to them. I'm fine with that. But you know what? We're going to say the name of Jesus, no doubt about that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But we need to show them that righteousness does not come from the law, but it comes from faith. Where's that at? Habakkuk 2.4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live 
by his faith. We see that we see that quoted three different times in the New Testament. That comes from Habakkuk. We need to show people the just shall live by his faith. Paul quoted that in Galatians chapter three, verse eleven. Paul used Habakkuk two four to prove that salvation is by faith. That was what Paul 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 didn't just he didn't just write this new gospel. No, he wrote the gospel that was in the Old Testament. And he, you know, and he made it more clear for us, but we can still use those verses. Another thing, too, you can show a Jew is in Genesis chapter 15, show how Abraham was saved by faith, not by the law. It says in Genesis 15, 5, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. You know how Abraham got saved? He believed. And God counted it to him for righteousness. Now, here's what you're going to ask him. You don't even have to turn to Romans to do this. When Abraham believed and God counted it to him for righteousness, was this before or after his circumcision? It was before. Romans chapter 4, verse 2, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath wear of the glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Paul proved that salvation is by believing on Christ from the Old Testament. So you know what? Use that. Use Genesis chapter 15 and show Abraham got saved by believing and believing that God was going to multiply his seed. So God didn't institute the circumcision until chapter 17. Abraham was already counted righteous for, with God before the circumcision. So that's an important thing. And so I don't know if that'll work. Well, you know what? If it doesn't work, then it just doesn't work. Because that's what the Apostle Paul used. That's what the Bible uses. And so what, you know, we don't need to go outside of what the Bible does to try to get a result we want. And if we go outside the Bible to try to get a result, you know what we're going to get? A fake result. That's what we're going to get. So next thing you need, so you need to show them that righteousness does not come by the law. You also need to show them that sin has to be covered by blood. And you can show them that in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 22. It says, And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you, and ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and thy sons forever. And notice what would get God to pass over them and not to destroy them was blood. It says, when I see that blood, I will pass over you. The Bible says in Psalms 32 and verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. So right there we see that in, from, the, from the Old Testament that our sins need to be covered. We need God to not credit us with iniquity. How do we get God to not credit us for our sins? Our sins must be covered. And what was always the method used for covering sins in the Bible? It was blood. That's what was always used. And you know what? That just happens to be what Paul said in Romans chapter 4 and verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sins. And all of the animal sacrifices in the Bible, they were blood sacrifices. Hebrews 9.22 says, and almost all things are by the blood purged with blood, or by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. So what you've got to what you've got to show me you're talking to them, Listen, you are a sinner. You have not obeyed all of the law of Moses, and there is a curse on you if you do not continue in all things. And so because you've sinned, in order for you to escape the judgment of God, blood has to be shed. To cover your sins. Your sins need covered. 
you need to be imputed righteousness somehow. And you can't get that righteousness from your works. You've got to get that righteousness through belief and through the covering of blood. Now, at once you've established that point, that brings up a big problem that they have today. And that is, because they're all guilty of breaking the law, and for the last 2,000 years, they've had no priesthood, and no sins have been able to be atoned for. So where does that leave them? And you know where it leaves them. They know where they're at. Because if you ask them, hey, why aren't you guys doing animal sacrifices? Why aren't you doing it? And you know what they'll tell you? Because we have no temple right now. Okay, so why don't you build a temple? Well, we're trying. You know, but the Muslims got the Temple Mount uh, right now. So you know what they're in. This is what they'll tell you. We're waiting for the Messiah to come. And when the Messiah comes, he'll build a temple. When the Messiah comes, he will, he'll do all these things to take care of our sins. Now, you and I understand that the Messiah already came and did all those things. Okay. We, we understand that, but go ahead and just. You know, you sh- if, if they agree with the Bible at all, they will understand their sins need to be covered by blood because righteousness does not come through any performance of the law. So this is where we get to talk about the Messiah. We've got to talk about the Messiah. But you know what? Before you name the name of Jesus, I think this is a, a good way to do it. So, you know, so once I've got them to admit Salvation cannot be obtained by the works of the law, and that shouldn't be hard. Uh, and you know, especially too, when they understand, hey, your sins haven't been covered, blood hasn't been shed, there is no temple, there is no priesthood doing anything. So that's when they're just going to say, we're waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the Messiah. So let's talk about the Messiah, and look what it says in Isaiah chapter forty-five and verse sixteen. Now, I wish I could take time to show you how many things. There's so much from Isaiah 45 that lines up with things in Romans I don't even have time to get into. We'll touch on a few things. But Isaiah 45, 16 says, They shall be ashamed and confounded, all of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. Jump to verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. The Lord, In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified, and shall glory. Now, any Jew that's being honest with the Scriptures at all should be able to read this passage and say, the Messiah is where your righteousness is going to come from. The Messiah is going to be the one that's going to remove your sins. The Messiah is going to be the one who's going to come and fulfill all things in the law. You haven't fulfilled the things of the law. You can't fulfill the things of the law. You can't give covering for your sin. You can't do any of these things. But the Messiah will. The Messiah is going to give Israel a salvation and it's going to be an everlasting salvation. The Messiah is going to do all those things. You know, will you agree with me that the Messiah is going to do these things for you? And you know, hopefully they'll agree. They all think some pretty good things about the Messiah. We're saying very positive things about the Messiah. It says in Isaiah 28, 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Listen, if you'll believe in that Messiah, listen, you'll not make haste or you will not be ashamed. You will not be, uh, you know, you will not be found wanting. You will not be disappointed. When When the Bible talks about not making haste, or not making ashamed. The way I like to illustrate that, imagine, you know, ladies, if you were asked to go on a date somewhere and you uh, went to a fancy restaurant and, you know, you, there was a reservation that was made by your boyfriend and you go and you're there and you're sitting at the table and you're expecting him to pay. It's an expensive restaurant. And then you are, you're sitting there, you're kind of waiting for him, but then, all, you know, and the waiter, like, you ready to take your order, ready to take your order? 
but your, you know, your date never shows up. You know what? You're going to sit there and be like, you're going to start getting embarrassed at some point, are you? You know why? Because you were left waiting. You know, you're, you made, you made haste. You you got anxious. Like, is he going to come? Am I getting stood up? But you know what? Those who are depending on Jesus to get them to heaven, those who are depending on Jesus to return one of these days and to save them, they're not going to be make haste. They're not going to be ashamed. Trust me, folks, when he comes back, you're not going to be disappointed. All right, we might, we might feel that way every once in a while. Like, is he really coming back? You know, sometimes you might feel that way. But folks, he's, going, he's coming back. Okay, we, can, we, can, we can count on that. And so we, got it. We, we need to show that it's he that believeth. If you believe, you will not be ashamed. It says in Isaiah 52, verse 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that say unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. So it is clear from these passages that one must believe on the Messiah to be saved. And you know what that sounds a lot like? Sounds a lot like Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess in thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's from Isaiah. For there is no difference between the Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Folks, you understand this passage, this is our go-to passage to get people to call on the Lord, and it was all taken from these passages we just read in Isaiah. So you know what? Talking to a Jew, go to those passages in Isaiah. Hopefully they're familiar with those passages. And, and just show them. Listen, you have to believe on the Messiah. You, you, you are not going to get to heaven through your works. You are not going to get to heaven through your performance of the law. You need the Messiah to come and deliver you and bring you salvation and to make a sacrifice for your sins to cover them so you can be imputed righteousness like Abraham without works. That's what, that's what Jews need. So, let's talk about some of the criteria for the Messiah. All from the Old Testament. So, let's look at Isaiah 7.14. I'm going I'm to um, jump to a few places here. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. That's a messianic prophecy right there. According Now, this is where you're going to find out how honest these people are with the Scriptures and whether or not they've already hardened their heart. Because you know what? There is only one person that anyone even claims was ever born of a virgin. And his name is Jesus Christ. I mean, I can't imagine any Jew, when you bring this up, not, not knowing immediately where you're going after this i don't know you know maybe maybe they've been so sheltered and so protected they've never heard of jesus i mean i, I don't know but see looks like your messiah is going to be born of a virgin look at what it says in isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 it says nevertheless the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of zebulun the land of naphtali and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So we see that the Messiah is going to have a ministry in Galilee. In the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. That's the land around Galilee and the northern part of Israel. So the Messiah is going to do a work around there at some point. If I thought the Messiah was still coming, I think I, and I, I'd try getting a place around there if I thought he was still coming. But turn over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, ladies and gentlemen, this is, I mean, this is the passage of all passages that, I, listen, if you don't, 
If you don't see Jesus in this, you just don't believe. Isaiah 53. If you, if, you think, if you can read this passage and say the death, burial, and resurrection is not in the Old Testament, you don't believe Isaiah either. But look what it says in verse... We'll start reading verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Looks like we need to believe a report. Looks like the arm of the Lord needs to be revealed, and he does it through his word. Who is it? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So it looks like the Messiah is going to be rejected by his own people. It's an interesting thing right there. So this Messiah that you're believing in, according to the Bible, it says that he's going to first be rejected by his people. Kind of like Joseph was rejected by his brethren. Kind of like Moses was rejected by the people at first. We talked about that when we went to the book of Acts. I wouldn't go into those things. I'm just throwing those out to you for bonus. But verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It looks like that, that sacrifice, that covering that we're going to get is going to be directly from the Messiah. It's looking like the sins that we have acquired, that he's going to take the punishment for them. That's what it sure looks like according to this passage. It says in verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It looks like, again, all are sinners, and it looks like that this Messiah is the one who pays for all sins. It, it looks like this. If on him the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all, that tells me that this Messiah is the only way of salvation. I don't know. Am I stretching that passage right there? Am I stretching that? I know the Messiah is not named in here, but if I was to read this passage and say, you know, it looks like that this individual being mentioned here is the way the truth and the life and no man cometh unto the father except by him was that a stretch was jesus given a new revelation when he said that or was he just lining up with the old testament verse 7 he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb so he openeth not his mouth. It looks like he's going to be silent before his accusers. He's going to go like a lamb to the slaughter. So it sounds to me like he's going to die. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. It looks like there was no sin in this man. It looks like he's going to die, and it looks like he was going to be buried. It looks like we got the death and the burial right here. He's going to, it says he's going to be buried with the rich, too. It's kind of interesting. Okay. I'm not going to bring up Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who gave him his tomb, just by coincidence. But let's keep reading. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. There's that sacrifice that we need. That sacrifice. So, from this passage here, this sacrifice, it always takes blood for payment for sins. It looks like the Messiah is going to be offered up as a sacrifice for your sins. It looks like your righteousness comes through believing in this sacrifice. In, the, in this Messiah, He's going to be your offering. So this doesn't sound like a lamb. This doesn't sound like bulls and goats. This sounds like a man who's going to be offered up as a sacrifice. You say, well, God would never do that. Do you remember that story about Abraham and Isaac? Now, God didn't have Abraham sacrifice Isaac, but why do you even think God gave us that story to begin with? 
You know why? Because one of these days, someone was going to have to maybe offer up his son as payment for sins. I don't know. Maybe there's something messianic about that. I think there is. Yet it please the Lord to bruise him when he hath put to grief. When thou shalt make a soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That sounds to me like even though he's put to death, he comes back to life. You know what we call that? The resurrection. Somebody tell me the death, burial, and resurrection is not in the book of Isaiah. Okay? So it looks like he's going to die. And it looks like he's going to rise again. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be sanctified by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. Well, how can he do that if he's dead? You know why? Because he comes back alive. He doesn't stay dead. And he shall divide. Uh, and because he hath poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. So it looks to me like he's going to, not only is he going to suffer and die, he's going to be suffer and die with the wicked. So folks, Isaiah 53 right there. I mean, that, that's the gospel as clear as can be. And there's, folks, there's so much more. We can go on and on and on with scripture like this. How about Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6? I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. You know, and this is, here's the thing about this too. When you listen to the Jews today talk about their Messiah and all the things that are happening, you know what they don't talk about these things? They don't talk about him being offered up as a sacrifice. They don't talk about the shame of the spitting. They don't talk about giving his back to the smiters. They don't talk about the, you know, because a lot of the people talking about today are the ones who are just lying, have hardened their heart. But if there's one that has any honesty and any love for the scriptures at all, they're going to read all this and say, you know what? This isn't really what I had pictured. So, but fine. Okay, fine. Yeah. I'm looking for all these things. I expect that when the Messiah comes, all of these things are going to happen to him. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. And he's going to rise again. So, how about a timeline? Does the Old Testament give any kind of timeline for when the Messiah is going to come? You better believe it does. And Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Not the most holy place, the most holy. Talking about a person, talking about the Messiah. And we've already established from the Old Testament that this Messiah is the one that's going to take away sins. That this Messiah is the one that's going to be offered up as the sacrifice of sins. That we can't get righteousness through the law. We have to get righteousness through the Messiah. And 70 weeks are determined. Weeks of years. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, which was in Ezra chapter 1, which was shortly after the Babylonian captivity, not long after this prophecy is given to Daniel, we see that it gives us the starting point for when these 490 years are going to get going. And so it says, after three, or, yeah, know therefore understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. What does that mean? Cut off. It means he's going to be killed. But again, not for himself. Well, who's he dying for? For the people. Just like we saw in Isaiah chapter 53. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. And under the end of the war, desolations are determined. It looks like Jerusalem is going to be destroyed too. During this period of time that's being spoken about. But he, it says, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. 
And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And I don't want to get into all the foolishness that goes around this subject, but again, one advantage that you're going to have when you go to this passage with a Jew is none of them are going to believe in Larkin's gap. Okay? None of them are going to believe in Larkin's 2,000-year gap. Okay? Only a hardcore dispensationalist is going to get that from their King James Bible or from the Old Testament. So the thing is, what you can do with this is show them that there was only 490 years max that can go from the time of the command to restore to rebuild the temple to the Messiah coming and being cut off. So, folks, we're way past that time. According to the Old Testament timeline, the Messiah has to have come already. There's no doubt about that. This time has long since passed. So what's this covenant? What's this covenant that He confirmed with many for one week? What's this covenant that is spoken of that the Messiah was going to confirm with the people in this 70th week? What is this covenant? It's a covenant spoken of in Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, that although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You want to know why there isn't a temple anymore? Because the Messiah already came and brought in a new and better covenant. And you know, this is the question. We haven't said the name of Jesus yet, talking to him. Just ask him, can you think of anybody historically who could have met all this criteria? Can you ever think of any Jew who came and was born of a virgin? And I didn't even go to the scriptures from Micah where it says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's got to be born in Bethlehem. He had to have been born or he had to have come around 490 years after the command of Cyrus to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Can you think of anyone historically that's been spoken of that might fit that criteria? See if you can get them to say the name of Jesus first. And just show them, listen, you don't have a temple because you don't need one anymore. That temple was a part of the old covenant. Your fathers broke that covenant. But you know what? God still loved you and God promised that He would bring you a new and a better covenant. One where you don't need a temple. One where your body is the temple of God. One where you don't have to offer up sacrifices every year. That there's a one sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice. A salvation that's not just to an ethnic group, but a salvation that's to the entire world. A salvation that covers all your sins. And listen, you know that salvation comes by? That came through Jesus Christ. Matthew 26, 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's only one person that ever, ever could have been the Messiah. And folks, if, if this old... Just tell them, listen, if, you're, if your Old Testament is holy, if it's the Word of God, and the Messiah didn't come 2,000 years ago, it's all wrong. It's not the Word of God. You're following a flawed book. If you're right, that the Messiah has not come yet, then, then there's something wrong with your Bible. But you know what? There is. And let me tell you, when you mention the name of Jesus, that's the name whereby they must be saved. 
But that name is a rock of offense to them many times. And they stumble at that stumbling stone. Oh, I don't know if we should bring the name of Jesus. That's where we always lose the Jews. I know. But that's the only place where they can be saved. You know, we don't, we don't get to change the gospel to accommodate more people. It doesn't work. And you know what? We don't get to make them feel better by trying to do a you know Hebrew name that they keep changing. They can't decide if it's Yeshua or Yahushua or you know they're always they're always changing it up. You know what? Just use the name of Jesus. It's okay to use that. The Bible says in Philippians two nine, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we saw earlier that that Messiah was going to be the one that every knee was going to bow before. And Paul showed us in the New Testament that that Messiah and that name of that Messiah is Jesus Christ. And nobody's going to get saved bypassing the name of Jesus Christ. I believe, I believe in the Messiah, but I refuse to use that name. I refuse it. No. By the name of Jesus. Okay? And you know what? You're going to lose most Jews right there. But you will never, ever, ever get a Jew saved without mentioning the name of Jesus Christ. Without him believing on the name of Jesus Christ. Without him calling on the name of Jesus Christ. They must do that. And you know what? You know what's going to happen to those Jews who reject? In Luke 19, verse 27... Jesus never joined the Yedidim of Israel club, friend of Israel club or any of those things. And he's going to say, but those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring them hither and slay them before me. That's what's going to happen to these people if we do not reach them with the gospel. And you know what? I get it. I get it. They're they're a tough group, uh, you know, but, but at the same time, I believe everybody needs a chance. Everybody, everybody, everybody deserves an opportunity. And we have been called to take the gospel to the whole world. And we're never going to bypass a group just because of their ethnicity or something like that. We're not just going to write, we're not going to write them off. We're going to give them an opportunity. And, you know, and, and you know what? We can have hope that we're not just beating our head against the wall. There always is a remnant. There's always going to be a remnant according to the election of grace. And I want to reach some of that remnant. I, I, I really do. And so hopefully these, if you, uh, you know, take notes on these. Write these scriptures down, underline, and if you if you get that opportunity, uh, then I recommend doing it this way. Go ahead and use the Old Testament. It's a great way to get their attention, and but you know, but eventually, just call it out, name Jesus, and if they don't see it after all that, you know what you know what's going on. The veil's still on their heart. You know why? Because they're not turning to the Lord. That means they're turning away from. Him. They're rejecting Him. And so hopefully this was a help. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for uh, the wonderful promises in your word and just all these prophecies you've fulfilled. Lord, just, Lord, we just looked at a small, tiny fraction of the prophecies you've already fulfilled. But Lord, just the fact that you fulfilled those is more than enough proof that you're going to fulfill the rest. And that's exciting because there's a lot of great things that you've promised for us. And I uh, pray if this message does anything, it'll just get us more excited about what's to come and just give us assurance that those things are coming. But Lord, I pray that maybe this message will be a help to some in here uh, to just help them have the wisdom and knowledge that they need to be able to uh, give a good gospel presentation to a Jew. And I pray you'll use this church, Lord, to help us reach that remnant. In your name we pray.